Hello, my friends, and welcome to the Deeper Daily Podcast for the third day of April. I'm Paul White. Thanks for joining me on our journey through the Gospel of Mark. Today, we're going to kind of speed up, I guess is the right way to say it. I I really always am hesitant to say that because I then get into the text and find myself saying other things and slowing down. But I do think uh, for, for purposes of this story of John the Baptist's beheading, we could just read the story, give some detail, and then head into what is easily the most popular story outside of the the crucifixion, and that's the feeding of the 5,000. I say that for a lot of reasons, and we'll talk about them over the next few days. So let's make our way through the remainder of this story. We read up through verse 20 yesterday from Mark 6, so we'll start in 21. And of course, just to give you context, this is where the story of the beheading of John the Baptist is being retold by Mark. Mark's telling it for the first time, but he's sort of working his way backward to the story because he introduced the story by saying that Herod and others were wondering who this Jesus was if perhaps he was John the Baptist whom they had already killed, which then forces Mark to tell the story. Verse 21, Then an opportune day came when Herod on his birthday gave a feast for his nobles, the high officers and the chief men of Galilee. And when Herodias's daughter herself came in and danced and pleased Herod and those who sat with him. The king said to the girl, ask me whatever you want and I will give it to you. Now, of course, Herodias is a girl. This is the daughter of Aristobulus. That's one of the sons of Herod the Great. Let me, I'm going to break this down without boring you, um, really just to show you the uh, the loose morals, I guess, is a good way to say it, that was typical of this Herodian dynasty. The Herodians were co-opted is probably too easy of a word, but we'll use it. They were co-opted by the Roman Empire. They had, of course, Jewish heritage, but they were not a king in the same way that, say, David was king, in that they weren't ruling by some dynastic legacy of blood uh, through bloodline, but rather through being appointed by the pagan Roman Empire, which had nothing to do with this sort of spiritual direction of Israel. It didn't mean they didn't have spiritual knowledge. In fact, some of the Herods had a pretty good working knowledge of Torah, of Jewish tradition, and some were more intense in their faith or their practice of what we might call Judaism than others. Um, But just to give you a, a little breakdown of what's going on here, Herodias uh, daughter, like I said, daughter of Aristobulus, that's, that's one of the sons of Herod the Great. Other sons of Herod the Great would have been Herod Antipas uh, and Herod Philip, although he had Herod Philip by a, a different wife. Um, after she married her half-uncle, Herod Philip, Herodias left him and, had, and committed adultery with his brother, Herod Antipas. And these are the loose morals that John the Baptist is standing against, and whether or not he represents the law and Jesus comes along and represents grace, it still doesn't mean, I don't mean in any way, that he's wrong for pointing out their relationship. Uh, I want to make that clear. Uh, just because I you know, I made the comment this week that he 
he points out their relationship and it ends up costing him his head. Jesus is confronted with adultery and gives no condemnation. It's not to say that Jesus was shaking his head at John the Baptist, like, oh, why are you doing that? Um, John the Baptist has no other thing to do. He is a, he is a, he's a prophet. And the prophets point people back to the covenant. And the covenant that they're under, he's pointing them back to those observances. And so it's to be expected that John the Baptist would preach in this way. There seems to be a, a bit of a, sort of an incestuous desire in this text. Uh, Mark moves right past it. He lets the reader take in the whole, ask me whatever you want, and I'll give it to you. Um, he also swears to her, whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half my kingdom. So she went out and asked her mother, what shall I ask? And she said, the head of John the Baptist. Immediately she came in with haste to the king and asked, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And the king was exceedingly sorry, yet because of the oaths and because of those who sat with him, he did not want to refuse her. That's, a, that's pride. And because he doesn't want to look as if he is dishonest or he doesn't have the nerve, he immediately sent an executioner, commanded his head to be brought, and he went and beheaded him in prison. He brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl, and the girl gave it to her mother. When his disciples heard of it, they came and took away his corpse and laid it in a tomb. All of that story, because the story opens with Herod wondering if this Jesus could be John the Baptist raised from the dead, and then Mark wants to retell the story so that we understand it. Now, I didn't fly through it because there's nothing to say. I feel like I've said what I would like to say from a theological standpoint in regards to the beheading of John the Baptist. I also feel like Mark wants his audience to see the vile nature of this Jewish Roman king. And he's writing to an audience. I want you to think about this. He's not writing per se to you, though you and I benefit from this. He's writing to his audience to let them know the nature of their religious leaders in their day because the apostle Paul will appear in front of the kings, uh, the, the Jewish kings, like King Agrippa, which is in the direct line of this lineage. And those early church apostles were having to confront these this type of power. And it seems to me that Mark takes this extended journey to describe the death of John the Baptist as shock value to his Christian readers to say, look at this. Don't go back to this system. This is what they will do. This is who they are. And so if this passage seems unnecessary to us, like why did we need all this detail? Remember that it isn't written with, a, with an audience 2,000 years in the future in mind, though we benefit, it's written with the direct audience that's dealing with this system of religion. And that's how you should read the New Testament, but it's specifically when you get to something like Hebrews, which is really written to that Jewish audience to say, don't go back to this. Here's what this looks like. Here's what Here's how they conduct themselves. Here's who they are. Now, that did allow us to cover half, almost a quarter of the, the sixth chapter of the Gospel of Mark in this podcast or in these last couple of podcasts, which leads us up to 
the feeding of the 5,000, which I am persuaded, and we'll get into this deeper tomorrow, I am persuaded, was the most impressive miracle Jesus ever performed. Tomorrow on the podcast, we'll start to talk about why. And it's going to take several days to really get into the fullness of this. This is remarkable. And I encourage you to take some time before tomorrow's podcast and read Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. Mark's version of, and Mark is one of four versions of the feeding of the 5,000. We'll see you tomorrow. God bless.